The following audio is from All Saints Church. For more information about the church, please visit our website at allsaintsgb.org. Our Old Testament reading this morning is from Amos 5, verses 18 through 27. Hear the word of the Lord. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. As if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him, is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light, gloom with no brightness in it? I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Did you bring to me sacrifices and offerings during the forty years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You shall take up Sikkoth, your king, and Kion, your star god, your images that you made for yourselves, And I will send you into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. God, we thank you for your word, the story of your grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come. We come to hear you speak. We come to be transformed by your word. We come to be stirred in love. We come to be exposed in our idols. Open our hearts, our eyes, our ears to hear your word and to respond in love for you and love for our neighbor. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. I'm going to come a step closer all your way uh, and get a drink. Okay. If you had the task of creating heaven according to your liking, if you were to create heaven according to your liking, What would be there? Likely grand food. Certainly loved ones, right? Probably no more more pain, no more death, right? Classic things. Perhaps candy, right? Skittles. Amusement rides, perhaps, for some. Looking at you, Colson. What else? What else might be in that heaven? In that heaven would God be there? Would the Lord of hosts be present? And if he wasn't there, would you care? Our Christian culture, I think especially aging generations, feeling the ache of decades of weight of seeing sin, often can say the evil are too wicked, the world doesn't make sense, and I just want to go to heaven. Sometimes the problem with that statement, though, is it's not, I just want to be with God. Do you want to be with God? Do you love God and the things of God? Ask it again. Do you love God and the things of God? Or perhaps do you love looking like you love God? Do you love the approval of mom and dad when you look like you love God? Do you love the feelings when you sing that song about loving God? Do you love celebrating God's acts in history, but not 
really celebrating the God who did them. Now, perhaps you don't know the answer to that question. Perhaps you know that you are even divided in your worship, in your heart, between the Lord and something else. Maybe you know that you are devoid of or or lacking of love for God and that which he created your neighbor. And perhaps then you are deceived even, thinking you love God, but really it's been more about you than him. Now, whether you know the answers to those questions or not, God does, right? God sees how real our worship is. There's nothing that escapes his eye. And this is so very obvious from our text today in Amos 5. It's in this text that Israel's worship, their worship is going to be exposed in three ways, both internally, externally, in worship, and outside of it. But it's in three ways that it's exposed. The first is that their worship is shown to be divided. The second is it's shown to be devoid of real love for God and neighbor. And finally, maybe most scary, is it's deceived, leading them to believe that they will receive victory and not judgment from God. It's in light of seeing this that that we here in this space, in this public worship, we must learn that God sees how real our worship is. God sees how real our worship is. And therefore, we must really, actually love God and our neighbor, not just talk or look like we do. One unique thing that we're going to do today uh, is we're going to actually start at the end of the passage, 25 through 27, and then move upward. I think I'm allowed to do that. I'll find out later this week. Um, But we are going to move backwards, and we're going to see how God sees how divided man's worship is, and then also how necessary it is to unite our divided worship onto the Lord himself. So look with me, verse 25 in the passage. Amos, or the Lord, brings up Israel's past. Now, many centuries before, when God had delivered Israel out of Egypt, and he brought them to the promised land, and they're standing at the edge, looking out at this land that God promised would be theirs, they are terrified. Why? Because there are giants. There are some scary people there that they're going to have to face. But they do not trust God. They don't want to go into the land because of this. And so what does God do? God says, fine, fine. Back into the desert you go, 40 years into exile in the desert, and you will die there, faithless generation. That's what God says to them. And that's what, that's what verse 25 is referring to, that context. Now, the question that the Lord asks in verse 25 about sacrifices and offerings, or we could just say worship, if we want to make it simpler, it isn't obviously answered, isn't obviously answered in numbers. We don't hear necessarily how they do their worship all along in numbers. So the answer could be yes or it could be no. The way the question's phrased would sound like a no. But what we do find when we look back in the book of Numbers is we find that this people was led away to worship other gods. So whether the answer is yes or no, we at least know that this people during those 40 years were at best, at best, divided in their worship of God and other idols. Now, in verse 26, if you look ahead, the Lord is saying, Israel, Israel, you are more like that faithless generation than you know. Israel in Amos' day were about reading their horoscopes. Israel in Amos' day were making their own images of Babylonian and Assyrian star gods, Sukkoth and Kiyon, right? These were star gods. 
the Lord is pointing out here then that Israel, that Israel has offensive inconsistency, right? You say you love me, you say you worship me, but you're making images. You're worshiping the stars. You're reading your daily horoscope, thinking it has something for you. You're dividing your worship between them and me. And God says you weren't created for that, to be divided. And so the Lord tells these people, as long as you continue in such divided worship, you can only expect the same outcome as that faithless generation, exile into death. Uh, Several weeks ago, there was a video that uh, was leaked out of a married, professing Christian NFL coach, all one guy, who was uh, caught dancing inappropriately with a woman who isn't his wife. And the world was set ablaze, right? Every sports channel was talking about this video and about this occurrence. They're asking decent questions. Should he be fired? Shouldn't he be ashamed? Shouldn't his wife leave him? What's surprising about this is when you look at the NFL, there are plenty of men who have multiple children from multiple women. There's no problem with adultery in the NFL, but yet... When we saw this happen, when this video came out, the world was outraged about this coach. Coach, you say you're a leader worth following. You say you're a family man. You say you're a Christian. How could you be so inconsistent? How could you be so divided in your allegiances? If the world, who does not often care about, uh, about adultery, which any sitcom would probably tell us that, right? If they hate such inconsistency, We shouldn't be surprised by how much more God hates it and calls it not real, right? The love that he supposedly has for his wife. Consciously divided love, like the coach showed, is no love at all. And the point here is that consciously divided worship, as Israel shows, is no worship at all. God doesn't want 50-50, not 80-20. Even those are good odds. No, no. He wants 100 and zero. 100 for God and zero for idols. And so Israel was divided in worship to the Lord and worship to idols. And the truth is, what we must see too, is that we, we too, God sees how divided our worship is between he and idols as well. Now, when we think of idols, it feels like a pretty foreign word to Westerners, right? The last time that I was in my room whittling a piece of wood and then worshiping it was never, right? (laughs) But that's not what idols really are, right? Idols are whatever we treat like it's God, Sit on that. Idols are whatever we treat like it's God. Now, that doesn't mean I think my, star, my, uh, my smartphone created the stars, but I do believe it will satisfy my soul at the end of the day. I don't believe my bank account made the oceans, but I do believe it gives me true security. I know my loved ones didn't create light, but they are who I look to in order to get purpose, satisfaction, security. That's idol. That's idle language, idle talk. Anything you treat like it can satisfy you, that's an idol. Doesn't matter if it's a pumpkin pie, Packers game, relationship, a covenant relationship with spouse or a significant other, with a child, with a parent, a collection of stamps, or if it's spending hours on TikTok, Snapchat, or whatever, social media, you think will satisfy you. Anything you treat like it can give you true security, that's an idol. Doesn't matter if it's your loved ones. Doesn't matter if it's your retirement savings, your fences, or your locks. All these things, even listed, pumpkin pie especially, are very good, very good things. And we are to thank God for them. But 
when we look to the thing to do what only we are to look to God to do. That is indeed an idol. We've worshipped an idol. Our worship is defied just like Israel's was. And the expectation holds. Exile away from God. That's what he's threatening Israel with. And so God sees how divided our worship is. And so to really love God, what we must do is we must name the idols. God even gave them a head start. Kian, right? Sukkoth, there's your idols. You know them already. You need to turn from them. So for us to worship God alone, to unite our love, we must take time to think about how we would name these. So here's, here's an application, very practical for you. Even today on this rest day, this Sabbath day, Set aside 15 minutes today and ask two questions and then pray one prayer. Two questions. What do I look to to satisfy me? What do I look to to satisfy me? Two, what do I look to to make myself secure? What do I look to to make myself secure? And the prayer, ask God to unite all of your love and worship upon him instead. It's the prayer we offer to our children right? Ask God to fill your heart with love, to unite your worship on him. And God indeed does that. God indeed longed for that from his people, to be united in love for him, not divided. Let's move up. Verses 21 through 24. We learn uh, in these verses that, again, the same theme, the Lord sees how real our worship is, or how devoid our worship is. So we must really love God and our neighbor, not just talk like or look like we do. Now, for the God who is love, everyone's favorite verse in the world, for the God who is love to say he hates something, we should probably pause and ask what it is, right? In essence, he hates their public worship. Feasts, sacrifices, songs. What's public worship in our day? It's this the people gathered to worship the Lord together. And this is what God is saying he hates about what they're doing. What are the feasts? Well, feasts refer to religious holidays, right? Times that God actually delivered them. They're thinking back, celebrating these moments when God saved them, right? Israel out of Egypt, David over the Philistines. The sacrifices, the sacrifices were commanded by God. The burnt sacrifice was a covering over their sin. The grain offering was a thanksgiving to God. The peace offering was meant to feed the priests and even your own family. It was a sacrifice or an offering of fellowship with one another and with God. The songs they sang were likely psalms, right? Words that God literally gave them to sing to him, right? That's what they're singing to God. But what does God say? I hate, I despise your feasts. They are a stench to me. They're a Green Bay trash can left out all summer, never being washed. It's a stench to me. He says, I cannot even stomach your sacrifices. I refuse to accept them. Your songs, they're like banging pots and pans. I won't listen. I won't listen to them. Why? Why? What, what sin has Israel committed that's so serious, right, that God is saying this to them? Well, it's not that they aren't passionate about worship. Back in Amos 4.8, it says, you love to worship. Israel loved to worship. So what is it then? It's two things. The first, their public worship was devoid. That's lacking, 
or empty of love for God. It was about them. The closed eyes, raised hands, religiosity. It was for them, not for God. And we see this as God says, your feasts, right? Your burnt offerings, your songs. These aren't mine. They're yours. You're doing them. The second thing, their lives outside of this time, outside of public worship, are devoid of love for neighbor, particularly in the two ways we've seen all through Amos, justice and righteousness. In a desert like Israel, do you know what the most important resource was? Water, right? Water is life. Water is what makes life possible, and without it, life doesn't happen. So notice what Amos relates water to. Justice, like rolling waters. Righteousness, like an ever-flowing stream. Without water, there is no life. Without justice and righteousness, there is no worship. Why does God hate their public worship? It's because it's devoid of the thing that makes worship real. Sincere love for God instead of self. Evidenced love for neighbor, injustice, righteousness. Now, as means of a reminder, what what is this justice and righteousness? Justice in Amos, it's dealing with righting the wrongs, punishing or stopping evil in its tracks. Righteousness is emphasizing right living with others, loving neighbor as self. And these two things are precisely aimed at the poor, at the forgotten, underrepresented, unthought of. And so he's saying real worship is when you really love God, you really love neighbor, justice and righteousness to them. When we were, uh, when we were overseas, uh, uh, some of our Muslim friends, or I should say all of our Muslim friends, celebrated this religious holiday. And it was, it was a sacrifice holiday. So they would actually, actually sacrifice sheep and cows. It'd be a great time to go down to the car wash because that's where they would do it. And you'd get to see the rivers of blood. And so they would uh, distribute the meat then to their families and perhaps even to those who were poor. Now, this holiday was actually meant to commemorate Genesis twenty-one, twenty-two, when Abraham, he has Isaac, and he's supposed to sacrifice Isaac, and they would say Ishmael, but God provides what? A sacrificial ram in Isaac's place. And Christians were like, oh, this is Jesus, right? John the Baptist says, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, this must be about Jesus. So we, we love this holiday because... It was such a natural connection to talk about Jesus. And, but it, when it was a holiday that they absolutely love, what was clear to Lindsay and I or to our family and, is that nearly everyone loved celebrating this event. And yet no one, no one knew why or how it actually worshipped Allah. Families gathered, large meals were eaten, prayers were prayed by the fathers. Sometimes extra meat was given to the poor out of tradition And so their feast, their public worship holiday, was actually devoid of love towards their God and towards the poor. Because even the kindness, the justice, righteousness, it was a tradition. It wasn't generosity constantly pouring out towards them. And I believe we can say that God hates that kind of religious worship, especially to a false god. But friends, we need to look at ourselves, even as we think about that illustration. Does God hate our worship. Let's do a test. I'm included in this. Are our religious holidays so different? Test case. Christmas. Is it really about Jesus? 
God incarnated as man? Is it rather about nostalgia of traditions, delicious cookies, pretty lights, favorite hymns that we all know the words to? We don't even need the words. We know them. Classic songs, classic voices. Who could forget the presence, right? Are we more concerned with the joy of the festival than the Christ that we were created to follow? Do we come to public worship, this space, looking to gain an experience? Is our singing about what we feel rather than what he receives from us or perhaps what we also receive from him? Do we just keep up our public worship attendance because it, it pads that better-than-the-next-guy-ism religion? Very popular in Wisconsin. Is public worship about what you get out of this? When we leave public worship, does justice and righteousness roll down? Does it flow out like an ever-flowing stream People love to talk about justice on a national scale right now. But frankly, justice, it starts here with the people we rub our arms or our shoulders with. It starts with standing up for your classmate who's made fun of, right? It starts with loving that unlovable neighbor, opening our door, our dinner table, our hearts, our shoulders for tears. It may start with opening our wallets as well. It starts with attending public forums to speak for the underrepresented, right? Seeking justice in the public square for those people who are, have seen injustice. This question, though, of God hating our worship is so unsettling. I know. I understand. And that's why we must ask it. We must examine our hearts. Am I looking for an emotional high? Are religious holidays just about food and music for, for me? It's about my family. Are my eyes and heart looking to care for the made fun of, for the needy, for the forgotten in my class, in my job, in my neighborhood? We must examine our hearts, friends, and we must strive to make our worship, this, these things we profess, not about us, but they must match what we express in our faith, how we live it out. These have to come together. Now, I want to be, I want to be slightly careful uh, because I think you could hear me say, try harder! or your worship doesn't count. I want to be careful here in that. Because the truth is, right, all of our public worship, all of our family worship in our homes, and even your private worship with your Bible and your prayer, it's all intermingled with sin, right? We are mixed bags on our best days. Or maybe just I am. No, I'm sure you are too. But this is why, as we strive to match our faith profession with our faith expressions, our living in the middle of that is what? It's honest confession. There's a reason we confess our faith every week here. It's not to beat ourselves up, but it's because we know there is this difference. We confess what we are unable to do. We confess agreeing with God what he already sees in our hearts. And in our confession, we commit to doing what? To what we've heard for the last few weeks, even as Pastor Chad has preached, to hiding ourselves in Jesus Christ, the righteous, the righteous one. And so we ask God again in our lives to match these things. We practice confession when they don't, and we ask God to hide us again in Christ. That's our second point. Our third, keep moving up the escalator, verses 18 through 20. It carries on this theme. This theme of, again, God sees how real your worship is. How? 
by what you expect is coming. He sees how real your worship is by what you expect is coming. So we must really and humbly long for his coming. Verse 18 tells us that Israel, they're excited out of their minds. They are excited out of their minds, perhaps like children were for Halloween or at least to get candy, right? The word for longing here, it actually has a selfish connotation with it. It's not just, I really want to do this thing. It's actually, I want this for me, me, me. That's what longing is meaning here in this text. And it shows again, this thing we've already seen, it's about them, not about what God is going to accomplish. So what's the day of the Lord anyway, right? We, we see this in the, the Old Testament. What's the day of the Lord? Well, the day of the Lord is the judgment day on God's enemies, simply put, and the victory day for God's friends. God promised a day that would come when he would reign over his people through a descendant of King David, and the enemies would be defeated forever, right? That's the day of the Lord. That's what they're singing will come. God's people, Israel, when they would actually gather for public worship, they would sing things like Psalm 136. And if you looked at Psalm 136, what you find is Pharaoh's overthrown, Egypt is destroyed, mighty kings are torched. That's what Psalm 136 is about. And they're singing it. They're saying, this is what's coming for our enemies and not for us. They thought that they had salvation coming. But God, in such an, an illustrative way, in verses 18 through 20, breaks the bad news. This day is not a day of safety, not of light. It's a day of darkness. It's a day of disaster. In other words, you are deceived in your worship. You are enemies, not friends of God. So track with the illustration here. He says this, imagine you're walking through the woods. You come across a lion. You somehow manage to escape. You come across a bear. You somehow manage to escape, which quite the feats already, right? But then you get home breathing heavy because clearly you've been running and you brace yourself against the wall and a poisonous snake crawls out and bites you on the hand and you die. It's a good illustration of what? Judgment is unavoidable as long as you continue to worship for yourself and not for me. You've been deceived to think this is your salvation day, but it's your judgment day if you continue in divided and devoid of love, worship, you will not be able to escape it. It's like the end of a Monopoly game when your friend has all hotels on everything. You cannot escape the judgment that is coming for your bank. You've all, if you haven't played Monopoly, maybe you've seen it played before. You know the little head. Early in that game, there is uh, one of the most treasured possessions is the get-out-of-jail-free card, right? Later on in the game, you actually want to be in jail, get away from the hotels. Um, but early on, it's what you want to have. So you can get out and buy more things, and naturally this card gets you out of jail. I remember one time walking through a parking lot, and I saw a bumper sticker, right? And it was the little Monopoly guy springing out of jail, and written right next to it was John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And right next to that was written what? Get out of hell free. Israel thought, we are God's people. We have the ultimate get out of judgment free card. Come join us or don't. You guys will die if you don't. Israel thought they could be divided in their worship. They thought they could be devoid of love for God and neighbor. Why? Because they're Israel. They're God's people. 
We got to get out of hell, get out of judgment free card. Professing Christians, oh, we need to hear the message in Amos today. Because this message is not for the nations outside, outside of here. They talked about that in Amos 1 and 2. God is speaking to us. It's for the people who read the Bible, who come to public worship, who sing songs about and to God. Israel believed in God for the sake of the destruction of their enemies, for the sake of the get-out-of-hell free card, but not because they loved God or wanted the things that God wanted. Ask God. Ask God to examine your heart to reveal if you're like bumper sticker guy. You have bumper sticker faith. I want heaven. I want ease. I want victory, especially over my enemies. But God, if you're there, take it or leave it. One positive thing we have to say about about Israel at this point is even if they are deceived in their worship, they're actually still doing something slightly right. What is it? They wanted to see the day of the Lord, and we should too. The Bible ends with this. Jesus says, I am coming soon. John says, let it be so. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Friends, we must examine our hearts because if we really love God, we will long, we will long for that day of the Lord. We will long for Jesus to come and not just to defeat enemies, not just to defeat structures and politicians and so on and so forth. No, but it's because on that day, what will we get? God. We will get to be with God. Paul in 1 Corinthians, he's convincing the Corinthians uh, that Jesus actually resurrected. He's saying this. He, he, re, uh, he says in verse 19 of uh, 1 Corinthians 15, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Right? If Jesus didn't raise again, if there's no resurrection coming, we should just be pitied because we're hoping in something that's not real. And so what Paul is saying is that history is going somewhere. The gospel, the good news, it's taking us somewhere. We're going somewhere. We're not just trusting for Jesus today. Forgive my sins today. Make me feel good today. No. It is taking us somewhere to the day that Jesus returns, to the day that we see God face to face, and we get to be with God. That's the good news. Or this, that's the fruition that, that's the consummation of that good news, when our faith becomes sight. As we do this, as we long for that day, we keep examining our hearts, not wanting heaven for heaven's sake, not believing we just got the, we got the card in our wallet of the get-out-of-hell-free card. And we don't just long for the day because our bullies or our politicians or our world's going to get it. No, it's because we want to be with God. That's the aim, loving God and therefore loving what he does, neighbors. So God sees how real our worship is by what you expect is coming. Are you expecting that day when you will be with God? If you do, then we must humbly continue to long for it. Let me close. Uh, As we saw in the uh, New Testament reading, there's Luke 15. This is probably one of the most famous parables, right, in all of the scriptures. Right? Everyone knows this one about the prodigal son. He says, Dad, I don't care if you're dead. Give me my inheritance, and I'm going to go live the way I want to live. He comes back, the father sees him, runs to him, forgives him, makes the rebel his son once again. 
And we heard it in the end with the father going out to the elder son, right? That's the end of Luke 15. And the elder son, what is he saying? He's angry. He says, I've been here the whole time. I obeyed you, but you didn't give me anything. That's how goat is translated. I'm kidding. It's not. But he, that's what he's getting at. You didn't give me anything. And the father replies, what does he say? Son, you are always with me. You are always with me. We learn that the elder son, like the younger son, didn't actually love the father either. He just wants the father's things. I want heaven without you, God. I want worship without submission, right? He says, you didn't give me anything, dad. And the father who represents God, what does he want? You are always with me. God desires us to long and love him, to want him to be undivided in our worship. So because he sees how real our worship is, friends, we can ask God to help us to really love God and to really love our neighbor. Why? Because he's a God who wants that very thing. He wants us to want to be with him. And so we can, the same way we said to our children this morning, you can ask God to fill your heart with love and desire to be with him. Ask God to stir your heart to love him, to love your neighbor, and to hope for the end of where the gospel is taking us, to be with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh God, we thank you that you are the one who moves. You are the one who saves people. When we're honest, our hearts are so divided. Lord, my life is so devoid of worship. It's so devoid of loving you first and foremost, seeking justice and righteousness for my neighbor. And Jesus, we thank you that we get to hide in Jesus Christ, the righteous, the one who was righteous and who gives us his righteousness. Purify our hearts and our worship that we may be united in our love for you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.